Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. There's a lot of brokenness in our world, and the cause comes from one source. God provides a remedy for all of it. Today we look at two men in scripture who have different needs in their brokenness, but one solution. We continue our series in Way, Truth, Life. There is a lot of brokenness in the world. I think this past two years have probably amplified it, probably in greater ways than we probably expected. And whether it be, you, you look at the state of the world and you, you just sort of get discouraged. Um, there's a lot of varieties of brokenness in the world, is there not? I think about this for a moment. There are marriages that end because a partner isn't faithful. There are people who are suffering from illnesses. That's brokenness. That's a broken physical moment. There are trafficked humans who are exploited by those who are greedy. There are hard workers who who, who wrong others to get ahead in their company. There are teenagers who cheat on their homework to get it completed. There are children's siblings that smack each other whenever they don't like what the other one is doing. There are moms who steal food to feed their family. There are healthy people who get a diagnosis of cancer in their 40s. Or like my grandmother who lost her sight in her 30s. There's division in society. There's a pandemic that seems to never end because of some decisions of people. And because it just comes around. See, we look at these different situations and we say, well, those are different kinds of brokenness. You can't necessarily match them together. Right. I mean, I would say that a corporation that exploits people for profit is not necessarily directly responsible for a woman in her 30s losing her sight. There's not a cause and effect there. But when you look at Scripture in its whole, all of these moments of brokenness, whether it be physical illness, whether it be suffering because of injustice, whether it because of broken relationships, because of somebody's decision to do the wrong thing, all of it comes back to a word that is used throughout Scripture time and time and time and time again. And it is sin. Sin is often just assumed to be what I personally did wrong to wrong God or wrong you, or you wrong me or wrong God, right? We often think of it in that term, or we go supernatural and say, oh, this is what the devil is doing in the world and bringing sin and things like that. It's actually far bigger than that. In fact, a number of times throughout Scripture, you will find where they say that sin, the wages of sin is death. What leads to death? Physical illness, injustice, pain and suffering, all of these things. The human condition 
according to the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, and our, our faith is that sin is the problem. Sin brought with it its friend, death. And the reason why the world is so broken is because of sin. It is personal, but it's also corporate. Let me be very clear with you. There are some folks who tell you that there's no such thing as societal or corporate sin. There is. <laughs> sinful humans build sinful systems and sinful ways of governing and sinful ways of doing things. Sin is big. It is big. And it perpetuates the suffering and the pain and the death that every single one of us has experienced in our lives. So, the problem for us is sin. Let's have a good definition of what sin is before we move forward into what God has done to address this problem. Sin is when you and myself or any other human decides to live in a way other than what God intended. God created each of us to be his image bearers, to be people and vessels of love and peace and hope. And the very first sin in scriptures is because God said, God put a boundary like we put on kids. Hey, don't touch that. <laughs> Ooh. And they touched it. They ate it. They lived in a way that God did not intend. And what happened is cause, has caused a cataclysmic effect on our creation, on the entire world. Everything that is wrong with the world goes back to that sin. Your cat bites you, blame Adam and Eve. No. <laughs> but you understand the concept here. God created a world that was rightly ordered. And our decision to go against that order caused a cataclysmic reaction. That's also what brought the pain and the suffering and the death into our world. But sin can be done and not known. If somebody doesn't know what sin is, doesn't understand who God is, doesn't really have a, a God-centered way of life, there are many people who sin and have no idea about it. There are many of us who sin in systems that we have no idea about because we have not accepted God as God. But also, you can still sin after you find out about God. <laughs> For example... If you know that God doesn't want you to steal from somebody and you steal, that is a, known, that is a sin. That is a known transgression against God. You see what I mean here? Sin is big. Sin is powerful. Sin is a problem. But thanks be to God that He has provided a remedy. 
He has actually been pr- providing remedies for years, even before we get to the one who has taken care of sin really forever. God has always been trying to get our attention and right us away from the ways that we have chosen or the ways that we have fallen prey to and say, hey, there is a right way of life. And it's in me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The saving grace that God gives is actually a whole lot bigger than we probably think or have even been taught over the past number of decades. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, beginning with chapter 18, verse 35. If you have a Bible or your phone, you can turn to it, Luke 18:35. And as we read this passage, we're actually going to take in two stories. And it's intentional. What Jesus does in these two stories are different and yet the same. There are different needs, but the solution is the same. And today as we look at what Jesus offers these two men, we're going to discover that grace, saving grace, transforms our lives in in multiple ways, not just one way. So, we read in the Gospel of Luke, beginning with chapter 18, verse 35, we read these words. As Jesus came to Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting beside the road begging, and when the man heard the crowd passing by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And the blind man shouted, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Those leading the procession scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he he shouted even louder, son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and called for the man to be brought to him. And when he was present, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord... I want to see. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And at once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God too. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. And a man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. Some of you are singing right now, I know that. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. And everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek 
and save the lost. These two men are in vastly different circumstances and have vastly different needs. They are very different. The first man is blind. He was also a beggar. He was in need of food. He was in need of help. Do you want to know why this blind man is in need of help? Because his blindness gave society and those around him reason not to care for him. You are useless. You can't see anything. You cannot work. You cannot contribute to society. Good luck. This blind man has nothing. And the reason he has nothing is because he is blind. He did not sin to cause his blindness, but his blindness gave others a reason to sin against him. He needs food. He needs help. But you know what would help just immensely is physical healing. To have sight again. That is his need. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, has it all, according to what we would probably, our standards of life. He's healthy. He had money. A lot of money. You know how he got money? He got money by being a chief tax collector. Now, this is not like the IRS where all of us grumble and self-do everything like, did I make a mistake? No, no. See, when you paid taxes in the Roman Empire, you went often to a, you went to a tax collector, and they told you what your tax bill was. You didn't really have a choice. And whether or not all that money actually went to Rome, well, that's, of course, that's where it gets gray. But he being a chief tax collector means he's the boss of the, all these other tax collectors. So yes, he made his money by exploiting other people. He has been sinning against a great number of folks. He is being greedy, and he needs a healing for that greed that he has. There's only two things in common for these guys. One, they are not liked by the general population. And two, they need something. One is rejected for, again, probably just indifference or just a desire not to be or laws or whatever it might be, the blind man. And the other is rejected because, well, he just takes advantage of everybody. And what we begin to see here in these two different accounts is that sin, all this brokenness, whether it be a physical ailment or illness, to social rejection, or to the intentional exploitation of others, comes from sin. This is the product of sin. There is sin upon sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. And as Dr. David Busick says so well, 
that really encapsulates the problem of sin. Sin is a vicious cycle that leads to painful destruction. But they approach Jesus. Even despite all of these things that are happening, both these men approach Jesus. And it's really interesting. As, as Christine shared with you last week, God is already at work in people who have not encountered Jesus yet, who have not encountered God yet. Okay? For these two guys to come to Jesus, God's already at work in their lives. And it's very much evidence because the blind man comes up to Jesus and says, Son of David, when everybody else is calling Jesus a Nazarene. Now, just so all of you know, being a Nazarene is not a good thing. I would equate it to sometimes us folks in Trumbull County can be a little prejudiced against those who live in Mahoning County. Oh, they're from Youngstown. We do that. I've heard it. I've heard it a number of times. Everybody else is saying, Jesus is a Nazarene. He goes, Son of David! That is a messianic title. He is saying that you are the Son of God. Like, this is a big deal. He's like committing heresy to some. He's like, no, no, no. I believe something bigger is happening with this man named Jesus who might be from Nazareth. He is the Son of David. God is already working in this man's life. And in the same way, Zacchaeus might not shout out, but Zacchaeus has this curiosity that he climbs a tree... To see Jesus. God's already working. God is looking to bring an amazing thing in their lives. This saving grace in their lives. And you know what happens? Jesus brings grace to them. Jesus stops. And he asks the blind man, what, what can I do for you? He stops and he sees Zacchaeus. Hey, come on down here. We're going to hang out today. In both moments, Jesus offers himself to these two men. And what they need are vastly different things. The blind man needs physical healing. Zacchaeus needs healing from something else, from greed. So let's start with the blind man. What do you want? The blind man goes, he could have said food, he could have said money, hey, a place to stay, anything like that. He goes for the, give me sight. All right, here you go. And I think the thing that is amazing is that we often believe that, oh, well, this is great and everything like that. Jesus healed a physical infirmity. It's a hard word to say. Jesus healed him. But what we often don't do is we do not connect why the man was blind in the first place and what was being done to the man because he was blind. Jesus brings healing to the blind man, physical, but also a healing in such a way that the effects of sin have also been healed. Because this man doesn't go back into the village and say, I'm finally healed! Now I'm going to get all of you suckers for leaving me behind. 
He doesn't do that. He follows Jesus. He was sinned against. And he was restored in amazing ways. Yes, this man has sinned. But it has nothing to do with his blindness. He has been healed from the effects of sin, from blindness. He's been healed himself. He's been forgiven. He's been restored. And I think that's something that we sometimes forget is that Jesus isn't just here to offer you and I forgiveness of our sins. Because when you just receive forgiveness from your sins, what about all the other things that comes with the sin? God restores our lives in bigger ways than just saying, oh yeah, all the things that you've done wrong, you're forgiven. Oh, that's great. But what about the moment whenever I have been taken advantage of? And what about the time that this person did this to me? And what about the things that I'm dealing with physically? And what about the brokenness that I have in my family? And what about all this? Jesus brings healing and restoration to that as well. And it gives you and I opportunity to even extend forgiveness and restoration to others. This is why Jesus says, you will not be forgiven if you do not forgive others. Saving grace comes to us and allows us to give grace to others. And the only way for this to happen is to see Jesus as this blind beggar saw Jesus. He's the solution, period. No, I'll receive some forgiveness here, but then I'm going to enact in my life the way that I want to act. No, 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 no. Jesus is the solution, or he's not the solution in your life, y'all. It's not a, oh, I get this, and now I get into heaven. No, it transforms your life that moves you towards the kingdom of heaven every single day of your entire life. And that's exactly what it does. He follows Jesus. I mean, I presume that he might be one of the unnamed disciples that follow Jesus beyond the twelve. But Zacchaeus, on the other hand, is the one who has sinned against a lot of people. He has intentionally gotten rich off of the backs of other people. You ever done something where you were being selfish against another person and you gained from it? We've all done it. Whether we've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've cursed out at somebody. I hope none of us are killers. He was the perpetrator of so many sins. And Jesus just offers himself, hey, come out and hang out with me. Which of course is a big deal because in that day and age, as a sinner, it was like, well, these sinners are worse than us who are also sinners. We don't do that still, do we? 
We don't compare sin, do we? Yes, we do. Oh, did you hear what they did? Your gossip is just as bad of a sin as what that person did. But Zacchaeus is given Jesus. He says, hey, I want to hang out with you. This is an extension of grace. This is unmerited favor. This is the gift of the Son of God. And Jesus says, I'm going to your house today. I'm going to have a meal. It's going to be great. And what happens is, everybody's like, huh? Why would Jesus do that? Oh, my goodness, can you believe that? (laughs) And Zacchaeus surprises everybody and says this. Hey, Jesus, I know I've done wrong. So half of my wealth is going to go to the poor and the rest of my wealth is going to pay back the people who I have wronged four times over. You know what that is? That is what we would call reparations. He gives reparations as a response to Jesus saying, I'm going to be with you, and you can follow me in everything. Jesus doesn't even have to ask it of him. He does it himself. If you actually go back a few chapters, there's another rich young ruler where Jesus, he comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus goes, Sell everything to the poor. Oh, no, never mind. You know why Jesus asked that of him? Because the only way for the forgiveness to move into restoration and healing for the world is for him to pay reparations to undo the wrong that he has done. Grace causes us not just to be forgiven, but to seek reconciliation and restoration with the people who we have wronged. And too often, what we have done is we've just said, oh, I've received this forgiveness. It's so great. I have a new life. Your new life doesn't start until you begin to make the wrong that you have committed right. That's what saving grace does in our lives. It it, it hits us because all of a sudden we've been given something that we don't deserve and we think to ourselves, I can't move forward until this is righted. So what I'm here to share with you, friends, today is that I have good news. You were offered forgiveness, and I also have good news. When you have received forgiveness, you are also given the responsibility to be restorative. Because, friends, sin, we are perpetrators of sin, and we are victims of sin. We are perpetrators of sin, and we are victims of sin. I want you to hear that. Say that with me. We are perpetrators of sin, and we are victims of sin. So that means that grace, when it comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ, who dies on the cross for our sins, means that we are forgiven of the sins that we have perpetuated in our lives, but also heals us to the point 
of being restored personally, but also restore our relationships with others. What these two healings show us is that two very different circumstances has the same solution. And it is Jesus Christ, the way that He lives, and the way He forgives. And that is the way that we are to live ourselves. He not only provides forgiveness, He also provides restoration and liberation. And it makes sense now, doesn't it? If sin is the cause of pain and suffering and death, then grace also has to address those other parts of our lives that were caused by sin. The grace is a lot bigger than we like to think. And it's why we see this life that we have with Jesus as a journey of grace. I'm guarantee- the more that you walk with Jesus, the more you come to the realization of the sins that you have done against others. And how you wish that you had done something different. Well, you can do something different. You can go back to a person who you wronged 30 years ago and ask for forgiveness. The systems that we live into that are sinful, you don't have to play by those rules. You can play by different rules than what everybody else says. Well, you just got to do this. and No, just reject it completely. Because really, let's be honest, these two men wouldn't be in here If the blind man took his healing and then used it to exploit other people, he wouldn't be in here. And Zacchaeus wouldn't be in here if he didn't offer restoration to those who he wronged. There'd be no reason for them to be in in these scriptures. And that needs to tell us something. That grace causes us to be restorative. We are saved to be restored to go and to restore. Or if you want to make it more in ways that you might know. We are saved by grace, which leads to faith, which produces good works. We really like the blind man's grace. We do. We like that. Being healed, being brought liberation, being made free. But we often don't recognize how much the grace given to Zacchaeus demanded everything from him. Earlier at the beginning of this time together, I mentioned a woman losing her sight in her 30s. That was my grandmother that we celebrated yesterday. And um, you need to understand, my grandmother grew up in church. She 
began to love Jesus at a very early age. But I'm, I'm here to tell you something. Following Jesus did not mean that she was not sinned against or that she was perfect. And I, I, I reminisced yesterday or, or speculated, I guess speculation is a better idea, is that lo- if I were to lose my sight like my grandmother did in my 30s, I can't tell you how much grief and doubt and anger that I might have as a human being. That was not my grandma. My grandmother seemed to take it in stride. That doesn't mean that she didn't struggle. That doesn't mean anything. But she never blamed God for her condition. And in fact leaned harder upon God and became far more restorative. So just to understand the kind of restoration my grandmother brought to this world, she adopted my stepfather and adopted my step-aunt. They were from two completely different families and made a family. And even in the midst of that, my stepfather married my mom, and both of them were married previously, and so we brought together a blended family. And so when that happens, believe it or not, in a lot of families, there's sort of favoritism when you bring families together. Not my grandmother. I can't tell you that ridiculous amount of love that she gave to me, not a natural born grandson from a step, from a second marriage. She treated me like one of her own. But it wasn't just to me. She treated every person that she met like she was, that you were one of her own. She would talk to you. She would be kind to you. She would be patient with you. You could tell her anything. She would listen. She was this loving person. And the sins that happened around her never moved her to cynicism or to anger or to pain upon others. She just leaned in stronger to Jesus and forgave and was restorative. You know how you help a divorce? You don't do it by hating the person who you divorced. You move forward through forgiveness and restoration and love. That's what she did. When she was sinned against by a number of things that I'm not necessarily going to air out our entire family's laundry, but she was sinned against a number of times within our family. She forgave, and she loved, and she served. That cycle of sin that leads to destruction, it stopped with her because she leaned into Jesus' grace in every moment of her life. And yesterday I said, I hope that, I mean, quite frankly, I hope to have the kind of faith that my grandmother had. Again, she is not my blood grandmother, but yet I have been inspired so much by her because Jesus 
was in her life so much. I was inspired by Jesus in her. So friends, today I have good news. I have good news to us all who are sinners. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But there is also restoration that affects every part of your life, your relationships, your work, your brokenness, your own sins. We don't just receive forgiveness to continue on in the systems and the things that we know, but rather to adopt a new life because His grace, His favor, His gifts extends to every part of our lives. So if you have been following Jesus and you said, Lord, forgive me of your sins, and you are still holding that grudge or still intentionally doing something against your neighbor or against God, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is big enough to change that pattern of behavior. This is why we believe Jesus breaks addiction. This is why we believe that Jesus defeats sin. It's why we believe that Jesus is still healing people in this day and age. But if we don't accept that big grace, there will be parts in our lives that will always be stuck in this muck and the effects of sin in this world. We have to give it all to Him. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.